Thank you. God is good. God is really good. Thank you, Ray, for your introduction. Um, lead us to the church in Laodicea as Ray was reading. Speaks to them and says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me, call and open the door and I'll come right in and sit down and supper with you. Amen. Church that had lost its first lover, a church that has become stagnant and stale, a church that thought they were rich and they got everything going for them. And the reality was uh, they were dead or near death. And uh, I appreciate that, Ray. Thank you. Always good to open the Bible. Um, dear Harry, dear Harry, <laughs> uh, we do pray for Harry in hospital and pray God you raise him up. Um, but Harry, last week in introducing breaking your bread, um, took us to the book of Exodus. You'll remember that. He took us to the book of Exodus. And in particular, he took us to a passage of Scripture where Moses had gone up the hill. He'd been meeting with God. He'd been up there for quite a while. And um, in his absence, Aaron and the children of Israel decided to make a golden calf. And they called it Yahweh, the very name of God. They built an idol for themselves and called it Yahweh. I mean, we stagger when we think of that, don't we, with our sensibilities. And not only did they build this idol, but they built an altar in front of the idol and they began to bring them do burnt sacrifices to this golden calf that they'd built. Uh, they worshipped it and after worshipping and sacrificing, they parted, they reveled. In fact, Harry said last night, they engaged in lewd behaviour. There's an old phrase, lewd behaviour, but that's what they did because they'd created a god that would, could accommodate that. They'd created a God to their liking. They'd created their own God. They'd fashioned a God for themselves. We, we, we stagger at the thought of doing that, don't we? Creating a God that would just be suitable for us. And uh, we, we obviously would never build a golden calf, would we? The answer is no, Jeff, by the way. Say no, Jeff, out loud. Otherwise, it's going to be a different message altogether. <laughs> uh, we would never do such a thing. But you know, when you get to talking to, especially non-Christians, I'm sure you've found this, and they start saying about how they don't believe in God and why they don't believe in God, and they begin to describe a God, and you think, I don't even recognize that God. That's nothing like the God that I serve. And, you know, you say to them, well, I don't believe in that God either. Let me tell you about the God that I believe in. Let me tell you about the Jesus I love. It's totally different than the one that you're describing right now. Well, they've created a God of their own imaginations, fashioned something to suit themselves. The terrifying thing is, when you meet some Christians, they also have this pick-and-mix God, this God where they've taken bits out of him that they don't like and maybe added things in that they would like their God to believe in. They created Jesus for themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Hello. I'm going to say it all again if you say it, don't say yes. 
It's so easy to go out there and create a Jesus which is contrary to the word of God, the Jesus that we find in the Bible. Fashioning a Jesus of your own imaginations, one that will suit you. Um, many years ago, there was a, he's probably still alive, God bless him, a man called Gordon Bailey. I think David Hughes had met Gordon Bailey. Christian poet. He was a great guy. He wrote some great Christian poetry. I liked his poetry because most of it made me laugh. And as you know, I like to laugh. But um, he, he wrote this poem. I think it was called, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And it describes the sort of Jesus that people uh, imagine in their minds. And with your indulgence this morning, to be honest, even without your indulgence... <laughs> because I'm going to do it anyway. I'd like just to recite this poem to you, which kind of summarizes something that hit me last week when Harry was talking about them making this golden calf. It, it, it kind of, anyway, this is a poem. Are you ready? Say yes, Jeff. All right. Oh, I've just got to turn this thing off. I like to think of Jesus as a decent sort of chap. You know the kind of character I mean. He isn't God in human form, nor is he just a myth. He's someone sort of somewhere in between. He's meek and mild, a good example, talks a lot of sense, a help when other help cannot be found, a universal balsam that can soothe a troubled soul, a handy kind of bloke to have around. I think of him as one who completely understands. He sees my sin but smiles and lets it pass. He's handsome and broad-minded. Sorry, he's handsome and clean-shaven, broad-minded and polite. He's Protestant and British, middle class. He doesn't raise the dead, I'd find that far beyond belief. Belief. He doesn't carry nail scars in his hands. He's respectable, acceptable, a friend that never fails, yet never comes to me and makes demands. He's a superstar philosopher who's gentle and serene, a Jesus who is popular and kind, a Jesus not dogmatic, not intolerant, a Jesus with a never open mind. I want my Jesus happy, bringing peace and brotherhood, the subject of an all-embracing creed, the theme of song and poetry, a reasonable man, approving of the lifestyle that I lead. I like to think of him as one not difficult to please, who tolerate my self-indulgent vice, providing that I help my needy neighbor now and then and go to church each season once or twice. For after all, I celebrate his birthday every year with pudding or perhaps a turkey leg. I bring to mind his crucifixion with a hot cross bun, recall his resurrection with an egg. I've been accused of making up a Christ to suit myself who doesn't match the Christ of history. I'm told I've compromised the truth. Well, let me make it clear. The Jesus of the Bible's not for me. The Jesus of the Gospels asked too much from simple folk. He said some things I think were very odd. He set the standard far too high, demanding 
holiness. He said he was the only way to God. He slammed sincere religious folks. He said that they were wrong, that they should follow him and him alone. I can't accept a Christ who will, will not water down his claims, so I'm sticking to a Jesus of my own. A Jesus who is sinless, who's infallibly divine, who says that I must share his Calvary, is not the sort I choose, because in no respect at all does that kind of Jesus Christ resemble me. I think. I, uh, I, I love the poem. I like the poems of Gordon Bailey. I think if you go on Amazon, you probably find some of his works in there. Um, but of course, as I said earlier, we would never go out, would we, and build ourselves a golden calf and an altar in front of it and bow down and worship it and all that kind of... We would never do that. But how easily people will choose a Jesus of their own creation. How easily people will take bits that they don't like and remove them and add bits that they think Jesus missed out by not including. I'm sure none of those people are here today. In reading the story of the Exodus, what I'm going to say, say now seems disjointed from what's gone before, but there is a point eventually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when Harry talked last week about the story of the Exodus and this humongous job that Moses had thrust upon him, and he was not very keen on the job anyway. He refused five times or tried to get out of it five times. But it was an, an immense job. It, this man called Moses was, was there to lead a group of, I don't know how many, but maybe two million plus people out of Egypt uh, on a treacherous journey. And, and it was a journey, again, Harry mentioned it last week, from the natural into spiritual most of these people haven't got a clue about God, really. It was a journey from the natural from the, to the spiritual. It was a journey from, well, it was a journey through deserts and, uh, and, and the outback and, 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 and blazing heat. It was a, desert, uh, a journey through enemy territory, battles to fight, victories to won. It was an immense journey. It was a journey that had called these people out of Egypt and to become the holy people of God. Wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. It was to bring them out, to make them the holy people of God, that they may enter the land of promise. That's the purpose of God, to enter the land of promise. And we too are such a people who have been called out that we may enter the land of promise. We know that the word church in Greek, Ecclesia, uh, means the called out ones. That's what we are. We are those who have been called out. God has called us out of the dominion of darkness. God has called us out of slavery. God has called us out of the captivity that we were in into the freedom that we find in God and in Christ. Yes, that's what God's done. We're delivered from slavery. We're delivered from that dominion of darkness. Uh, we too have had our Red Sea experience as we pass through the waters of baptism, which cut us off from the enemy that sought to pursue us. If you're a child of God this day, born again, baptized, man, you've been delivered into freedom and into liberty. 
We are on a journey to somewhere, on a track from who we are to who we will be. We are, as it were, cosmic pilgrims. I'm going to say that again because I love it. We are, as it were, cosmic pilgrims en route to a land of promise. We've not arrived yet at our land of promise. But we take those promises one by one, don't we? We're taking all the promises that God has given us. And therefore, we cannot, we dare not, we must not en route build any false gods or any false Jesuses that does not stack up to the one that we find written in the Word of God. We cannot do that. We dare not do that. We must not do that. For Moses, of course, this was a massive task. This was a huge task for Moses. Um, he had no formal training for this particular task. He, he spent the last 40 years, he's 80 years old, by the way, which for me, I think, is quite a young man. Do I hear an amen anyway? <laughs> Thank you, brothers. <laughs> Just a boy. <laughs> But he was 80 years old, and he spent the last 40 years wandering around the outback somewhere looking after a bunch of sheep. And God calls him to this amazing task. How was he supposed to accomplish such a task, such a, a, a God-given mission? And Moses says to God, Exodus 33:12, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. Come on, God. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. Who will you send with me? And God replies this, and you know the scripture. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. What a glorious scripture. That's what he says to Moses, he says to you, he says to me, and he says to us, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The word rest here, if you look at it, is more than just a cessation from labor. It's, I will uh, complete the journey with you. I will bring you to the full fulfillment of that which I promised. In fact, Eugene Patterson, in the message version of the Bible, says, I will, my presence will go with you, and I will see the journey to its end. The presence of God. The presence of God. The presence of God and his presence alone is what will cause us to be successful on our journey. We will never be successful unless the presence of God is with us. We will never be successful unless the presence of God is with us. Yeah, And that's the danger of creating a Jesus of your own imagination. That's the problem of sticking to your, a Jesus of your own because a Jesus of your own imagination, a Jesus which has been cut back and changed and altered will never produce the presence of God. You only find the presence of God with the real living God. And that's why we have to be careful about the God that we love and serve. That's why we have to be careful about not dismissing the demands that he makes upon our lives the calls that he makes upon our lives. Because those are the things that will stop the presence of God being manifest amongst us. The world operates on a completely different system than God does. The world would want to know what method of leadership that was needed to get this bunch of people to the land of promise, what te techniques of 
corporate management is required? What instruments of social control needs to be used? What strategy needs to be employed to accomplish the tax? That's how the world operates. But for Moses and for the people of God, the great comfort and encouragement is this, that God's presence with us on the journey. It was God himself who would bring them to the land of promise. The big difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God is God is everywhere. God is everywhere. There's a big difference between saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. We know that, don't we? God is here. You're in a situation and you just know God is here. We love that. We love the presence of God. The omnipresence of God is, is God is, in, is, is, is everywhere. The psalmist writes, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? Wherever I am, you're there. Where can I go? But there's a big difference between that omnipresence of God and the real manifest presence of God. If the omnipresence of God was sufficient, then God wouldn't need to say, I will go with you, because he'd say, well, I'm already there. I'm everywhere you go. But it's more than that. It says, I need to know the presence of God in my life. And I experience the presence of God in my life when I acknowledge who he truly is and worship him as he has revealed in his word. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Come to my presence. Get close to me, and then you'll find rest. There's no rest outside of the presence of There's no spiritual rest on earth. Only in his presence. We, we, if you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, if life is a stress and a problem for you, get close to God, because it's his presence that will bring you to, other, to, to rest. Come to me, know my presence, and I will give you rest. And Moses replies to God when God says, my presence will go with you. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, what will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? We'll be like everybody else. If you've not got the presence of God, you'll just be like everybody else. You'll be no different. You'll be no different than anybody else without the presence of God. And without God's manifest presence, you'll just meander through life. You'll just meander through life. Remember the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament? Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. And God obviously knows about it. And God says to Cain, you're getting banished from the land. You've got to go. And Cain's response to God in Genesis 4.13 is this. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain became a restless wanderer because he no longer knew the presence of God with him. And because of that, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Somebody said that. I don't know who said it, but it's true. Uh, but nature abhors a vacuum. And so as soon as a vacuum appears, nature wants to zoom in and fill that gap. And if God's presence goes, something else will come to try and fill that. You just need to look at Christendom generally and the church generally, and you see people involved in all kinds of garbage and all kinds of rubbish. Why? Well, they've ticked the box that I'm a Christian, but they're not living in the manifest presence of God. And if you don't live in the manifest presence of God, you'll find, have to fill your life with something. With something. With something. And normally those something, oftentimes they're not bad of themselves, but if they're replacing God's presence, they're not good. That's why maybe over the last 18 months or so, many Christians have struggled to maintain their spiritual zeal because they've not been able to maintain themselves in the presence of God. And they've gone dry. That's why it's important that we're connected to one another. That's why it's important for the church family to gather because God in his wisdom set us in church families to encourage and strengthen and support one another. That's why being together is so important. Anybody ever said, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What camera's on right now? That one. That's stupid. It really is stupid. Of course, we're saved by faith and not by church attendance. But God, the God of the Bible says you need to be in church. The God of the Bible says you need to gather together. The God of the Bible says don't neglect to do that. What God do you choose? It's a false idol. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says you need to gather with the people of God. Hello? I don't have to go home to be married. Hello? Do I? I don't have to go and see my wife to be married. I'm married. I got married. I've got a certificate. I can prove it. I don't have to go home to be married. I don't have to see my kids to be a father. I'm their father. They can't get out of that. They've tried. They can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, you're lumbered. Yeah, okay, it's okay. But, but that lack of using every resource that God has got to, to build us up and to strengthen us and to, to make us strong in him, we have to use because we want to be a people of the presence of God. Isn't that right? Everybody said. And what is it when you don't and you just think you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What is it? Tell that camera. <laughs> Louder. <laughs> I want to get letters. <laughs> One of the prophetic words of this church is that we would be a people of God's presence. 
a people of the past, a people that when God comes in, when people come into this place, they would encounter God. We so desperately want to be a people of his presence. And we become a corporate people of his presence when the individual people are close to God and are experiencing the presence of God. That's why how you live is important because how you live affects me. What you do affects me and everybody else. And what I do affects you. I get into all kinds of weird, bad stuff. It'll affect you. And what you do will affect me. So if you're into bad stuff, stop it. Just stop it. See, without the presence of God, we'll just be a nice little friendly social group. And we are desperate for the manifest presence of God. Desperate. Desperate, desperate for the manifest. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Therefore, there's no compromise, no compromise. We cannot chip bits off God and think it's okay. We can't behave like the world behaves and think it's okay. We cannot expect to live like the world and expect to know God's presence. It doesn't happen. When the house of God is cleansed, when divine order is established, the glory of God will fall. Remember in the Old Testament, in the building of Solomon's temple, and uh, they completed the temple, everything, everything, everything God asked for was completed, was in place. And then all the priests consecrated themselves. And the glory of God's presence came and filled the temple. What a glorious day. The manifest presence of God came. What a stunning day. They couldn't even stand to, to worship or anything because God's presence was so powerful in that place. Wow. But you know that glorious filling of that temple was just a foreshadowing of a greater filling that was to come into the temple of every Christian person. And on the day of Pentecost in that upper room, where 120 people gathered together, the glory of God came, the presence of God came, filled them with the Holy Spirit, and they burst out on the streets of Jerusalem, proclaiming the glorious deeds of God. And everybody was amazed and perplexed, amazed and perplexed. A people of his presence will amaze and perplex the world. At the moment, it's indifference. God delivers from indifference. One of the things that said about this church in the early days, John, was we would be a sign spoken about. David Mansell brought that. We would be a sign spoken against. God forbid that we just melt into the wallpaper of spiritual mediocrity, but that we are a radical people who are saying, whatever God says, whatever God says, whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. I cannot build a golden calf and expect to experience the presence of God. Oh, God. Folks, I hope like us, you long to see an outpouring of God that will cause us to amaze and perplex our communities. We are on a pilgrimage to the land of promise. And we will never make it if we serve a false or fake God. And now as we are coming out of 
some of the limitations of COVID as we emerge from some of those restrictions as we continue now on our journey to our land of promise. I believe there's a call from God for every individual to consecrate ourselves for what lies ahead. You know, Joshua, when the children of Israel were about to pass into the promised land, cross over the Jordan into the promised land, he says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do amazing things among us. People say, why isn't God doing amazing things among us? That's because you didn't consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Live holy lives, pure, in the things that we watch, in the things that we engage in, the things that we say, the things that we do. The way that we live our lives needs to be set apart for God that we might know his manifest presence among us. We shake off all those things that displease him. Like the psalmist, we say, Search me, O God, know me, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Show me, God, and I'll deal with that. See, we, we've seen a glimpse of the land of promise. Citadel of hell. Bursting at the seams. Carried to the fire of his presence. Those are the things. Those are the things that we've seen and we're pursuing after. And you know what? Having seen that, it spoils you for everything else. If you've seen something in God, it, it spoils you. It spoils you. There was a leaders' conference. It was in the south of England. Uh, oh, there was a leaders' conference. It was in the south of England, and at this, the delegates all arrive at the hotel. Nice enough hotel. Quite a pleasant hotel. Nothing really wrong with the hotel. It was very, very nice hotel in many ways. Uh, and all the delegates arrive at this hotel. But clearly there's a problem in the hotel. Everybody's hanging around in the lobby. And the manager of the hotel comes and says, I'm dreadfully sorry we have a problem. Our electricity has gone off. There's no power at all in the, in the hotel. No power, no lights, no kitchen, no telephones, nothing. We're just, nothing we can do. Uh, he said, but don't worry, what we've done is we've arranged for you to, to, to be accommodated in another hotel down the road. So if you pack your bags, get back in your car, drive down the road, they're ready for you there. So they all got in the car, drive down to this other hotel, to this leaders' conference. Well, they get to the sign of the hotel, drive in, and it's a beautiful tree-lined drive. Magnificent gardens. And then they come to this glorious old building magnificent place. Stop the car. Porters come and take the bags from the building. Carry them inside. This splendid reception area. It was awesome. And that's an overused word, but it was. <laughs> and they all book in and they get taken upstairs to the room, go in the room, king-sized beds, little three-piece suite over in the corner for them to lounge in, desk over there, everything. All sweet, the whole everything you could possibly want. They drop all the bags off, go downstairs in, in, into the uh, into the conference room, and in the conference room, wow! I mean, the chairs were so comfortable, tables so beautiful, 
outlined place. It was just stunning. They had the first session, and then they went for dinner. Well, the dinner was like being in a Michelin-style restaurant. The service was impeccable. The food was stunning. It was just brilliant. Went to bed, slept like babies. Oh, man, it was so good. Got up in the morning, had this incredible breakfast. Man, this is just abysmal. But before they left breakfast, the, uh, the hotel manager came and stood in front of him and said, uh, well, uh, just to let you know that uh, it's been a joy to accommodate you overnight, but the other hotel now, the electric's back on. And so what we'd like you to do now is go to your room, pick up all your belongings, and, and go back there. You're going to be back at the other hotel. And everybody without exception went, no, I want to stay here. I want to stay here. Can we not stay here? Can we not stay here? And the guy says, well, yeah, you can have this, but it's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more. Hello. It's going to cost us more, folks. And so the call is that we consecrate ourselves and say, God, I'm willing to pay the price. Because my eyes are seeing something. And I don't want to go back to something which is lesser. I want to embrace and take hold of everything that you have for us. I want to get into my land of promise. And as I talk to you now, each of you, each one of you, will have individually lands of promise for you to take. Things you're believing God for. Promises that God has made, which have not yet come through. And God says, it's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more. And the only question we ask is, am I willing to pay the price? Will you stand with me, please? Uh, just silently for a moment, ask yourself the question. Consecrate yourselves. I can't consecrate you. You have to consecrate yourselves. That tomorrow, God would do wonderful things. Heavenly Father, we stand in your presence. And we declare to you that we will not be children of a lesser God. We will not be children of a lesser God. Where you say, we will do. Where you lead, we will go. 
what you ask of us, we will embrace. We know, Lord God, that your presence will see us through to the very end. Father, we've had glimpses of your glory. Seen, Lord, some of the things that you've promised to us, and we've been spoiled for anything else. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, for each person standing now, that you would come upon them afresh by your Holy Spirit. Fill them afresh with your power. Let them know, Lord God, your closeness as they press into you right now. Go with them, Lord, on every step of their journey. Bring them to that place of rest where every promise finds its fulfillment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.